Have you ever noticed that the lower jaw is not protected in sports? Did you know that 10,800 concussions will happen today? This has been an upward trend for the past 50 years. I'm Dr. Michael Hutchison, a practicing neuromuscular dentist. When my son wanted to participate in football and rugby, I was afraid he was going to get a concussion. That fear led me to finding the missing link to reducing concussions. The fact is, the only part of the skull that is not protected in sports is the lower jaw. If you want to drastically reduce concussions, there are three basic jaw positions that affect concussions and two of them are not good. The correct one is called physiologic jaw position. It will dissipate the force away from the brain. Knowing that, I designed an appliance that put my son's jaw in the right place and as a result, he was concussion-free from fifth grade all the way to senior year. This jaw position takes those 10,800 concussions today down to 28. It's the key to concussion protection. As a parent, this is what you need to know. It's extremely important that the device you are using is on the lower jaw. Thickness of the device is important. Most importantly, it must position and hold you in your own unique personal physiologic jaw position. So if your child goes out on the field with the correct jaw position, your son or daughter will not one of those 10,800 concussions today. Get yours today at powerplusmouthguard.com. Use the promo code POWERUP2023 for 10% off. Thanks for listening to the Pigskin Tales podcast. This story was written and produced by your host, Ross Bliley, edited by Nikki Bliley. You can follow me on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find the podcast on multiple music streaming providers, including Spotify, Amazon Music, and Audible. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, subscribe to the show on the Sports History Network. As a conversation starter, you can email me questions or leave feedback of the show at pigskintailspodcast at gmail.com. The soundtrack is provided by Kevin McLeod of filmmusic.io. Before we get into the story, I have to mention newspapers.com. I use it for my research and I love it because it gives me so much interesting information I would have never found otherwise. If you visit SportsHistoryNetwork.com, we offer a free one-week subscription as a trial. With a paid subscription, you'll be supporting the production of this podcast as well as the other shows. Once again, thanks for listening to the Pigskin Tales Podcast. Last time on the Pigskin Tales Podcast... I told you that Bronco Nagurski was from Canada and moved to International Falls when he was just five years old. He worked on the family farm as a teen and eventually went to high school in Bemidji his senior year. He ended up getting a full scholarship to play college football for the University of Minnesota after a chance encounter with head football coach Clarence Spears. He played both offense and defense for the Gophers. His best game in college was against the Wisconsin Badgers when he picked up a fumble just before Wisconsin was going to score to go ahead and win. But then he ran the ball on offense six straight times to score the go-ahead touchdown and win the game. Back on defense, 
He then intercepted a pass to seal the win. This time on the Pigskin Tales podcast, Bronco gets drafted to play professional football for the Chicago Bears. Viking fans, you know that the only reason why Bronco played with the Bears was because there was no Vikings team back in the 30s. You see, in the early part of the 20s, there was a professional Minnesota team known as the Minneapolis Marines. Their players were mainly from the surrounding colleges of St. Olaf, Hamlin, Augsburg, and St. Thomas. The Marines were the top independent champion in Minneapolis, but had a rough time playing in the NFL. Had owners John Dunn and Val Ness chose to keep the team into the 30s, I think big-name players like Bronco Nagurski and Ernie Nevers would have turned the franchise around real quick. But, because of bad weather, during three games with the Bears, the Minneapolis Red Jackets, also known as the Marines, went bankrupt. Ole Hagsrud sold the team back to the NFL, and then 10 of the 13 players went to the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets, and the other three went to play for the Green Bay Packers. I think that had the Red Jackets kept in business, players like Pat Dunnigan, John Madigan, Les Scott, Festus Tierney, Lou Mose, Adrian Burrill, John Simmons, Marty Norton, and Bill Houle would have rounded out their 11-man roster along with Bronco Nagurski and Ernie Nevers. The coach of the team should have been Herb Josting, who played for the Gophers with Nagurski. Josting was a coach of the Red Jackets towards the end of the dismantling of the team, but it wasn't early enough for him to make an impact. Now that I'm done ranting about the Minneapolis Marines and the Red Jackets, this is part two of the story of Bronco Nagurski. In 1929, the Associated Press tabbed Nagurski a consensus All-American at the fullback position. In the same breath, they also tabbed him a consensus All-American at the defensive tackle position. He rushed for 737 yards that season and etched his name into the Collegiate Hall of Fame in 1951, its inaugural year. The Gophers, still coached by Clarence Spears, went 6-2 in the Big Ten Conference. According to the website YourDictionary.com, Nagurski was the first college player in history to be named an All-Star at two positions. To end his college career, Nagurski helped the Gophers beat their rival Wisconsin Badgers in a one-point victory on Saturday, November 23, 1929, 13-12. Chicago Bears owner George Hallis had scouted Nagurski for three years, and when it was time, he eventually convinced the Brute to sign a $5,000 a season contract to play professional football for the Chicago Bears. During Broncos' rookie season in the NFL, he started all 13 games. Stats outside of touchdowns were not kept, but it was noted that he scored five touchdowns that season. According to ProFootballReference.com, Nagurski helped the team to a third-place finish in the league with a 9-4-1 record. He and starting halfback Red Grange combined for a total of 13 touchdowns that season. 
This was a huge improvement over the previous season because the team was 4-9-1. Owner, coach, and player George Hallis retired from his playing days to focus on running the day-to-day -day operations of the team. Jones was the guy that took over the head coaching duties at that time. In Nagurski's second season, he only started eight games and played in ten. The team was eight and five. While he only scored twice that season, he still amazingly was part of the second team All-NFL team. The 1932 season was probably Nagurski's best season because he helped the team win their first NFL championship. The season started out very strange with three ties of 0-0. Zero to zero. How does that happen? Well, it's obvious that no one scored, but I'm certain that it was just a really good defensive battle for both teams and neither team was willing to bend to give the other an opportunity to score. I'm going to take a quick break and play a promo from Play Classic Games. Hey. I got a couple questions for you. Do you like board games? Do you like sim games? If you answered yeah to both questions, then you're in luck. Play Classic has you covered. Who? Play Classic. It's spelled with two A's. P-L-A-A-Y. Oh, got it. Play Classic Games, the sponsor of this podcast, offers board gamers who love sports the chance to own something unique. Play Classic has realistic simulation board games in hockey, golf, football, baseball, and so much more. Coming soon, basketball. When you shop today at sportshistorynetwork.com backslash play, you'll get 10% off your first buy. Just make sure you use the promo code SHN. And while you're on the Sports History Network, be sure to check out all of our podcasts. Soundtrack provided by Kevin McLeod of filmmusic.io. And we're back. Thanks for listening to the Pigskin Tales podcast. In the fourth game of the season... The Bears lost to the Packers in a tight game. As the players were getting down for not winning games, Coach Jones and owner Hallis rallied the team together and tried to infuse some confidence by saying something inspirational, like, We're not out of it yet, boys. We still got a long ways to go. Let's keep our heads up and keep fighting. The team responded to the inspirational speech by winning the next six games in a row, four by shutout. Red Grange and Bronco Nagurski took over scoring touchdowns and whipped the Staten Island Stapletons 27-7, the New York Giants 28-8, Brooklyn Dodgers 20-0, and Chicago Cardinals 34-0. Over the last three games, the Bears won over the Giants again, six to nothing and the Packers nine to nothing, but ended their season tied with the Portsmouth Spartans seven to seven. Because the Bears record was the same as the Portsmouth Spartans, the league decided that a playoff game was needed to determine a league champion. 
On December 18, 1932, the Chicago Bears, led by Red Grange and Bronco Nagurski, played the first ever NFL playoff game in league history at the fabled Chicago Stadium. Because the weather outside was frigid and snow was waist deep, the league decided it was best they play indoors at the city's NHL arena. According to History.com, the field was only 60 yards long and 48 yards wide. This is 40 yards shorter in length and 5 yards shorter in width than a normal NFL size field. Sometimes you just gotta make do with what you got. The night before the game, the circus was in town, so just imagine the smell of elephants and tigers hanging around the place. Because of the circus, there was no grass on the field. The crew that reworked the playing surface added 400 tons of dirt just to make sure the players had a decent playing surface. The rules of the game had to be changed just slightly because of the smaller venue. Both teams agreed to a no-field-goal rule. Punts were crazy, as most of the time they went into the seats and fans had to try and get out of the way. George Hallis was interviewed after the game and said, I don't think anything could compare. The only thing not ridiculous about the whole mess was we won the game. Here's a snapshot of how the game turned out from History.com. In another bizarre twist, the teams agreed to move the ball back 20 yards after crossing midfield, further hampering the offenses. Multiple goal line stands highlighted a scoreless first three quarters. The Bears' defense, which shut out seven opponents during the regular season, stood strong. The Spartans sorely missed their leading man, Dutch Clark. But Chicago briefly lost one of its own stars when three players crashed into Grange, who was carried off the field. After Bears defender Dick Nesbitt snared one of the game's eight interceptions, compared to five pass completions overall, a fourth-quarter Chicago possession neared the Portsmouth goal line. Three Spartan stops kept the Bears on the two-yard line. With the field goal not an option, Nagurski took the pivotal carry. But the Spartans' defense changed his plan. The third-year fullback lobbed a pass to Grange, who had re-entered the game in the final quarter for the game's only touchdown. The defenders converged, and there was no way I could get through, Nagurski later said. I stopped moved back a couple of steps and Grange had gone around and was in the end zone all by himself. Spartans coach Potsy Clark ran onto the field arguing Nagurski was not five yards behind the line of scrimmage. You see, in 1932, the NFL required passers to throw from at least five yards back. Referee Bobby Cann ruled the play legal. Later, the Bears scored on a safety. Thanks for listening to the Pigskin Tales podcast. This story was written and produced by your host, Ross Bliley. 
edited by Nikki Bliley. You can follow me on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find the podcast on multiple streaming providers such as Spotify, Amazon Music, and Audible. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, subscribe to the show on the Sports History Network. As a conversation starter, you can email me questions or leave feedback of the show at pigskintailspodcast at gmail.com. The soundtrack is provided by Kevin McLeod of filmmusic.io. Once again, thanks for listening to the Big Skin Tales Podcast. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.